1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, big story number one. We are not going to delay this. In my opinion, this case demonstrates the complete and total lack of judgment that you find in the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office. It is a prosecution that I do not think should have been brought. I don't know. Testimony has just started. I will be surprised if they are able to get a guilty verdict. And it shows the anti-police mentality that runs through at least, I think, the upper levels of the district attorney's office, which is why I know a number of people who used to work in that office just shake their heads at the decisions that John Chisholm makes. All right, let's go after the cops. Let's let the carjackers. Let's let the car thieves. Let's let the batterers. Let's let them go. But let's go after the cops. The jury is now beginning to hear evidence in the case of a Brown Deer police officer. Her name is Devin Kramer. And this is attaching, this case is getting national attention. And I will tell you, the law enforcement community across the country, across the country is watching this case. Many people with mouths agape that this is the decision that the district attorney made to charge this woman. Now, keep in mind, the DA's office has charged other police officers recently, and they have lost those cases. Here's what happened. If you haven't been following this, this goes back to March of 2016. And Devin Kramer, she is a um, she's a Brown Deer police officer. All right. March 14th of 2016. There's a guy named Manuel Burnley. He's 26 years old. He weighs 350 pounds. So that becomes important a little bit later on. Mammoth man. He gets on a county bus. He deposits $2 and asks for a transfer. Well, the sister asks for a transfer that the system had discontinued. So they can't give him a transfer. The bus driver attempts to help him, at which point in time, Burnley starts screaming obscenities at the bus driver. The driver wants him off the bus. The driver's trying to get him off the bus. He's not going off the bus. And the driver, so you got this enormous man screaming obscenities at the driver. The driver's trying to get help. He's looking for police officers on the route. It's a sheet. The driver sees two parked Brown Deer police cars and flags them down. One of the officers in one of the cars is Brown Deer police officer Devin Kramer. She happens to be the first to approach. So the bus driver is trying to flag her down. You've got this enormous man who is screaming obscenities. And she goes up and she says, is there a problem? The bus driver says that she has a disruptive passenger who she wants off the bus. Um, at this point in time, the guy, and again, we're talking about an enormous man, and the reason I'm stressing this is this becomes relevant later on. He's 350 pounds. He's seated towards the back. Officer Kramer then calls a second officer for backup, and they ask the guy to come to the front of the bus. As the guy starts to approach them, he starts to scream obscenities again. They say, all right, you, you've got you to get off the bus. He refuses to get off the bus. For several minutes, the officers, this is Officer Kramer and her backup, listens as the guy um, ignores their directions to get off the bus and starts, you know, screaming obscenities. 
He ignores the offer to get off the bus. They say, look, if you, if you don't get off the bus, you, you know, you're going to get a citation for disorderly conduct at 691 bucks. Get off the bus, please, sir. He doesn't care about that. He continues to curse at them, and he says he has no intention of being taken off the bus. They say, look, if you're not going to get off the bus, we're going to have to put handcuffs on you and arrest you. He says, I'm not getting escorted off in handcuffs. You all going to give me my blanking, I can't say the word on the radio, back, um, you messed up, although he doesn't say messed up. So he's cursing at them. All right. Now, so you got these two officers. You got this whale of a guy who is cursing and refusing to get off the bus. The two brown deer officers move to escort him off the bus by grabbing his arms and trying to force him off the bus through the doorway. He resists. And after stepping off the bus, all right, the officers then try to handcuff him. At this point in time, Officer Kramer, She's trying to call for more help on her radio, but she doesn't know if anybody's heard the call and never heard a response. The other officer she's with is a guy's name is Michael Lehman. He tries to take Burnley, that's the 350-pound man, off his feet with a bear hug, and all of a sudden, all three of them go to the ground. So you have this struggle, these two cops wrestling with a 350-pound man who is screaming profanities and refusing to comply with orders. So you've got the three of them on the ground. Burnley, that's the 350-pound guy, is grabbing at the male officer. This is Officer Lehman, grabbing at his throat. All right, so they're in a life-or-death struggle. Officer Kramer, female, trying to control the left hand of this guy who is about three times her, her weight. So you've got these two police officers rolling around on the ground with this guy who is agitated. He's trying to grab at the throat of the one guy. She's trying to control his left arm. She attempts to control it. She apparently gives him a couple knee strikes to the body. It doesn't do anything. He's just impervious to this. Seconds later, he wrestles his hand. He gets his left hand free and um, from Officer Kramer and, and pulls it under his body. As the fight continues... Officer Kramer, this is what, you know, I think the way the law enforcement views it, is losing the ability to defend herself and her partner. Um, Also, they never got a chance to pat this guy down, so they don't know if he's got a weapon or, or not. He's been resisting from the beginning. So what happens is, as they are struggling on the ground, and you've got this fight that's breaking out, um... She's trying to control his left hand. She can't reach her taser. Uh, can't reach her taser because of the way the struggle is ensuing. She's also afraid that if she grabs the taser and tries to use it, she might hit her partner. All right. So what she does is she's screaming at him, "Stop fighting! Stop fighting!" What she does is she pulls her duty weapon and fires once at once at Burnley's back which then immediately ended his resistance. He's handcuffed. She doesn't fire five times, doesn't fire six times. She fires once. He's handcuffed, treated at the scene, taken to the hospital for the gunshot wound. She has now been charged with aggravated battery, use of a dangerous weapon, a Class E felony, maximum sentence of $50,000 and 15 years in prison. So here you have this female police officer outweighed almost three pounds to one by a resisting 
angry guy who has refused to comply with police orders but cursing at bus drivers and is engaged in a life or death hand-to-hand struggle with the two officers and yes she fires one shot to disable him he wasn't killed he was injured 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line this police officer is now on trial in milwaukee county effectively for her life as a result of decisions that the da's office has made 414-799-1620 all right she did fire a shot to disable him i don't think under these circumstances there is any any way in the world that a jury will decide beyond a reasonable doubt that this was not a reasonable exercise of police force in pursuit of self-defense. You are in a hand-to-hand life-and-death struggle with someone who is reaching out at your partner, who's fighting with you. I think what this officer did was perfectly justified, and I think it is shameful that the DA's office would bring criminal charges against her under these circumstances. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. What do you think? It's 1218. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And look, we're also talking about two different things. These are criminal charges. I, I don't know if there's going to be a lawsuit brought and whether they determine that this was unreasonable conduct in a lawsuit. That's a whole different story. I am talking about trying to take this police officer's liberty away as a result of her actions. And in this particular situation, in this particular situation, I am stunned that the DA's office brought criminal charges. Again, if people want to file a civil suit, that's a whole different story. It's a different burden of proof. 414-799-1620. Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're first. Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Okay, let's try James in Menominee Falls. James, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good morning. Or Hi, good James. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, you know, it, it just strikes me that when it when officers are dealing with somebody of size, everyone jumps to the conclusion that their life is in imminent danger. They're trained to take on people who are much bigger than them. They are trained to restrain people without using deadly force. I mean, you have a taser, you should be using a taser. Well, she says she couldn't use the taser because they're in a, they've gotten to a point where they're in a hand-to-hand struggle and they're at close range and she's just She's not in a position to grab it, and if she grabs it, she's afraid she's going to hit her partner. I mean, I I agree with you that the mere size of somebody doesn't justify the use of deadly force. But when you combine somebody who is provocative, somebody who is resisting arrest, and somebody who's fighting the officers, I mean, I think their size is something you take into account, isn't it? Well, I mean, you could say that with anyone, but it seems to me that every time these instances happen, is this a person of color, I'm assuming? I believe it is, yeah. It seems like when there's a person of color involved, that deadly force is always like the, the, probably the option that they think is best, and they are naturally more intimidated just because the person is of color. Well, I mean, I mean I- I've witnessed people who are of Caucasian persuasion and who are very large people being very belligerent with police, but they're a lot more patient 
with those people than they ever are with anyone that's of color. Well, it's it's. T- okay, I, know for I, I mean, well, James, look, it, look, it's, it's tough for me to generalize in that regard. But all, all I know, I'm trying to picture this cop. You've got this 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 police officer who finds herself in, at least according to her versions, a, a life or death struggle with a guy that outweighs her by you know a couple hundred pounds or a hundred plus or 150 pounds or, or whatever. The person is resisting. The person is struggling. The person is not obeying your commands. You're rolling around on the ground. He is refusing to be subdued, and he's grabbing at you know your partner. All right, you know what? What are you supposed to do now? I guess there's other options that you could maybe maybe you back off, maybe you let him go. I I don't know. But at this point in time, you know, once you are engaged. For goodness sakes, I mean, she apparently says she feared for her life, and that's what the question is going to be. Is this a reasonable fear for her life? I tell you, I will be stunned, 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 if a jury of 12 will agree beyond a reasonable doubt that her behavior was unreasonable here. And also, I mean, she only fired one shot. Now, I understand one shot can be deadly. She did not, this is not a situation where you empty your service revolver or anything. She fired a shot while she is in what she is describing as a life or death struggle. Were there other options? Okay, you know, maybe there were other options. And like I say, if there's a civil case, and I'm sure there will be, that's a whole other determination. But we are talking now about whether or not she is guilty of a felony. Carl in Brown Deer. Carl, you're on WTMJ. Well, good afternoon, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I was on that bus. I got off that bus before the incident happened, so I didn't see it. This guy was out of control. He scared me. I got off the bus. I'm going to stay off. And I'll wait for the next bus to come 20 minutes later. This guy was out of control. When you say you think he was out of control, what are you talking about? What, what did you see? Oh, he's walking around. He's swearing at people, not just the driver. He's swearing at everybody. And he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a little guy. And like I said, I did not witness the incident because I got off the bus before this all happened because I just I, I wanted no part of being on the bus with the same person. Right, right. So all you know, without seeing this incident beforehand, that the person who ended up getting in the struggle with the police officers, you would describe him as out agitated and out of control. Not just at the bus driver, but at the other passengers. Right, right. That's why I got I got off the bus. Right, got it. So without knowing what happened afterwards, you can at least understand that this isn't somebody who was it's, sitting it's, passively it's, and quietly. I, I have to agree with you. If if any, why is this woman being? even press with charges. I mean, police officer, and she's, I'm guessing she's not a very large woman, and you got a 350-pound man that's completely out of control. I mean, he's out of control. Mm-hmm. Well, I, 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 I can't testify to that. You know, if they want me to testify in, in the jury, give them my name. I'll give you my name off the air, but I will testify that this guy was out of control. Um, uh, Carl, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'll t- tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to. What's what's my hold button here? I tell you what I um. I, well, we've we've got your number. I I appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. If anybody wants it, I. So thanks for joining us. I mean, again, I and I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any question that the guy. I think everybody acknowledges that he was in fact out of control. Now the question is going to be, you know, was this an unreasonable use of force? And that's why they're they're calling, you know, an expert. That's the prosecution witness starts. Prosecution starts off with an with an expert. And and this might be a situation where, 
again, you have, you know, especially hindsight being 2020, you know, you'll have experts that come in and say, okay, she overreacted or she didn't. But my guess is you're going to have experts on both sides of this case that are going to talk about this. And I mean, if you have an officer that has a reasonable fear for her life, and it certainly sounds like based on the, I think, uncontroverted facts that this is going to be the case. Uh, Again, how are you going to get a proof beyond a reasonable doubt in connection with this case? Scott in Menominee Falls. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Sorry, I have a different opinion on this. No, you can have a different opinion. Sensitive snowflakes on everybody blaming the police department. If you don't run, you don't get shot. If you don't fight back, you don't have any confrontations with police officers. If you don't break the law, you don't have to worry about this. When are we going to make those people accountable for their actions and stop blaming the police officers or the school teachers or anybody else? It's ridiculous that we cannot make them accountable for their actions. Well, uh, again, I mean, thanks to the call. This whole thing is brought about by the behavior of, in this case, the, the victim, the guy that was shot. If he wasn't behaving like he did on the bus, causing the bus driver to flag down the police, if he obeyed the instructions of the police instead of resisting arrest, and I don't think there's going to be any question that he was resisting arrest and cursing at the officers, then this doesn't happen. Now, I guess if you want to second-guess it, you want to sit there and say, well, all right, maybe that there were other things to do, and, and maybe the way they handled this escalated the situation all all right I I guess you know you can always go back and replay things and my guess is this police officer is doing precisely that you know what could we have done differently that's all cool but the idea that we are going to charge her with a crime and try to potentially put her in prison for up to 15 years that did she make an error in judgment maybe were there other ways to handle it okay that that's fine settle that out in a civil lawsuit all right that's i have no issue with that one way or the other but this idea that she is guilty of a crime i repeat i will be stunned now maybe i'll be wrong on this but i will be stunned if a jury returns a verdict of guilty in this case this is a case that screams screams to me reasonable doubt and if it does come back not guilty i think the district attorney's office is once again going to have a lot of questions to answer as to why they are bringing charges it's 12:29 this is jeff wagner it's 1236, Jeff Weck, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Where are our hometown athletes competing in South Korea? And what's the Wisconsin-based medal count? Keep track of our Olympic Wisconsinites in South Korea by heading to the Winter Games section of WTMJ.com. Okay, big story number two. The president calls them harvest boxes. And the left is going absolutely nuts. Let us back up for a minute. Um, they now call, we, we refer to them as food stamps in general, but it's technically the SNAP program, um, supplemental nutrition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, program. Um, what happens is they are the modern day equivalent of food stamps. You end up um, getting a card. And then you are allowed, the card has essentially money on it, and you are allowed to go and you pick out you know, what you want at the store. There are certain limitations on what you can buy with what we'll call food stamps. For example, um, you can't use it for beer, wine, or liquor, cigarettes or tobacco, food to be eaten in the store, or pre-cooked hot items. 
Otherwise, you can use food stamps for pretty much anything. So if you want to buy high-end stuff like lobster, you can do that. If you want to buy cases of Mountain Dew, you can do that. If you want to buy candy, you can do that. If you want to buy cans of cherry pie filling to eat, you can do that. So there's no limit. You can buy junk food if you want. And we've talked about this on this program before. Le- attempts to limit what you can buy on food stamps are met by resistance from, first of all, the people who get food stamps who don't, and their quote-unquote advocates, who don't really care about whether the folks are eating healthy stuff. They just don't want their options restricted. The idea being, well, you know, if somebody who can pay for their own food can go in and can buy a bunch of junk food, why shouldn't somebody who is using government assistance buy junk food as well? Hmm, that's part of the argument. The other people who resist this are a lot of the grocers and the business community that provides stuff to grocery stores because here is the ugly little fact. The markup on crap, the markup on the Chips Ahoy and the Oreos and the potato chips and the Cheetos, that's a lot greater then say the markup on on fruits and vegetables. So the grocers and the people that provide the grocers with that kind of stuff, they have an incentive in seeing that the people who are using the supplemental nutrition assistance cards, that the SNAP cards, the EBT cards or whatever, that they have an incentive. That would be the grocery stores and the providers of, again, the junk food have an incentive in making sure that the people who have the food stamp cards buy the junk food because they make more money when they sell it. And that is just the reality that's out there. So that is why it is very, very tough to get any sort of meaningful reform in the food stamp program or any sort of meaningful limits on the type of food that can be purchased. Because, again, the advocates for the people who are using it see this as this terrible, terrible sort of situation. Oh, my gosh, they're trying to limit the ability of people to, you know, make choices. How dare these evil Republicans or conservatives, you know, they want to deny people the right to go buy a couple cases of Chips Ahoy cookies or a bunch of cases of, of Mountain Dew. All right, that's the one argument. And then, of course, the grocers make the money they want people instead of buying the healthy products they instead of buying the lettuce and instead of buying the vegetables they want people to buy the chips ahoy and the candy because they make more dough out of it all right so how does this relate to president trump well president trump rolling out this program that would take people who are in the food stamp program and would give them half of their benefits not all but half of their benefits in the form of what he calls a harvest box full of food pre-selected for nutritional value and economic benefit to American uh, farmers. So um, this would be canned goods and pasta and cereal and shelf-stable milk and peanut butter and um, other products now selected by the federal government, not the people who are actually eating it. The other half of the food stamp benefits would be delivered like they typically are. So you could supplement whatever was in this harvest box, you know, so you could still theoretically you could buy your soda you could buy your candy you could buy your high-end meat but at least a portion of your benefits would be in the form of nutritious stuff all right this idea of course has generated incredible reaction i'm looking at a story out of i think it's the washington post today talking about how this is this is the meanest thing ever 
that that evil Donald Trump. It's the meanest thing ever to limit you know, what people can buy with their food stamps or to, you know, give them these quote-unquote harvest boxes. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, here's where I come down on this. I have some real questions as to whether or not this is the most efficient way to do this. Um, And, I mean, I don't know. I'm a little bit unclear as to whether or not it should be the government pre-selecting the different types of, of nutritional staples that people eat. But I do know that I think it is perfectly appropriate for the government to put limits on what you can use your food stamps for. And nobody is saying that if somebody wants to go out and buy that Diet Mountain Dew or buy, you know, all the different candy bars or buy the potato chips or whatever, you can't do it. But I do think it is reasonable to put certain limits on the portion of the food stamps that you use for the junk food. 414-799-1620. But let's tee this up. I mean, I'm not convinced that harvest boxes are actually the best way to go. Um, and that's what some people are arguing, that the federal government's infrastructure isn't set up to figure out how you you know, select what goes in these boxes and where it comes from. That might be a practical issue. But just in theory, if we talk about just the theory of this, is this cruel? Is this heartless saying, hey, you know, we're going to make sure you get food, but, you know, we're going to decide kind of what that is. You're not going to be able to shop for it. We're going to provide you various staples that everybody would agree should be part of a healthy diet. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Wayne in Menominee Falls. Wayne, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you think? It's about time. It's about time that the general taxpayer, the regular average American who's paying for these people that are abusing the system, gets treated a little bit nicer. Well, let me just stop you there. I mean, the vast majority of people who are on food stamps, I'm not going to argue. I don't think I don't feel comfortable saying they are abusing the system. There, there is some abuse. But I guess to me the question becomes, is it unreasonable to say, hey, you, you need some help with nutritional stuff? Here, we're, we're going we're gonna to give you the peanut butter. We're going to give you the canned goods. We're going to give you this along with some other benefits so you can buy fun stuff. That doesn't strike me as being an unreasonable thing or a harsh thing. Yeah. Okay. No, and no. You- have you been down in the hood lately? Because this system is being misused, mm-hmm. abused, and is causing a secondary economy that's mm-hmm. in the inner city where people deal whatever with these things. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, thanks to call, Wayne. I mean, and I'm not disagreeing with that. That's, of course, another topic. I'm the guy that believes that, for example, we should put pictures on the EBT cards. Um, so it's easy, it makes it more difficult to transfer these cards because, I mean, that's a huge problem as well. But this is, this isn't really dealing with the fraud. This is dealing more with, okay, what is an appropriate use of the food stamps? And where's Michelle Obama? It's always driven me crazy about this. Michelle Obama made, made it her mission to try to make kids eat healthier. So you had all these health rules for school lunches. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. It can't be too much of this. It can't be too much of that. Well, if it's good enough for, again, school lunches, 
because you know we want to help people eat healthier. Why wouldn't it be good enough for supplemental nutrition? 414-799-1620. Tell you what, let's take a break. We're back with more calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, yesterday, President Trump comes out with a proposal that would essentially say half of food stamp benefits would be issued in the form of what he calls harvest boxes, which would be items selected by the government um, to be given to people, peanut butter, canned goods, stuff with nutritional value. The other half of the benefits that you get would be in the traditional food stamp benefits. People are screaming about this. How dare we tell people how to eat? Let's talk to Bill in Brookfield. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Uh, good morning. Hi, Bill. Um, I think this is a fantastic idea. I uh, grew up uh, very poor. My mother were, uh, was on welfare, and we had what was called the WIC program, and it was wonderful because you had the choice of whatever fresh fruits or vegetables you wanted. Um, you had bread. You get eggs. You get juice. Any type of juice you wanted. It was great because it was all the nutritional stuff. And you still had choices of what you wanted. You could get cheese. You could get yogurt. I mean, this was all healthy stuff for kids. And, and, and you had choices. Why can't it all be like WIC? That way we could get rid of the fraud also. And well, you know, that is the interesting healthy. thing. You know, people forget about that, that you do have the, the WIC program, which is the, you know, the, the, the women and childhood need program, where, where we do, there are very strict limits on what you can do with those programs, including you can't buy potato chips and you can't buy Chips Ahoy cookies and you can't buy Diet Mountain Dew by the case. Yeah, but you can buy oranges, apples, sure. apricots, peaches. You can buy everything that, that kids still like, you know, fruits and vegetables and juices, you know. It's, it's a great thing. Right. Now, again, thanks. For, the one thing that, that I don't that, that may be a legitimate concern about this is whether or not whether or not we, we have the infrastructure that's equipped to do this, because the federal government essentially pays for food stamps. The states administer it. So then the question becomes, OK, where is this food going to come from? Who makes these different decisions? And, and that's that's a very real practical issue that would have to be worked out, including the question of, you know, would this actually save money or would this cost a ton more money? Very, very fair with regard to that. But I guess in concept that this is just getting closer to this idea of what you're talking about, which is should we make this more like the, the WIC program? All right, let's talk to Richard in Shorewood. Richard, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Uh, I think that we should not tell people on food stamps how to spend their money, that they're perfectly capable of spending it in their own way. And that when we gave Foxconn three to four billion dollars, we didn't tell them not to buy any chips or cookies with the money. Okay. Um, of course, Foxconn. There are all sorts of restrictions on what Foxconn can do with the money and how it has to be spent and how much what they have to do to get it. But let, let's That's talk. True. Let's That's talk about. Let's talk about employees. your. Let's talk about your basic premise, though. You don't think that the that the the government that is giving people a, we're using taxpayer money to help assist people um you don't think that the taxpayers have any right to say to somebody hey you you shouldn't be able to use this on on junk food you don't think that we have a right to do it i don't think you should no i think people no people know how to spend their money they don't need the government to tell them how to spend their money how about liquor you, uh, how about cigarettes and liquor should we have limits on if that someone wants to buy cigarettes with it, with it they'll have less money for the other foods just like we make choices oh. whether we want to buy a fancy car or mm-hmm. a simple car 
But of course, uh, the decision you're someone, making. If someone qualifies for food stamps based on their income, then they should be given that money. Okay, so it's just so I understand your answer, you would have no prob- You would have no problem with expanding this to cigarettes and liquor as well. No, would, I would not. If, if they want to spend the money, if they want to spend their subsidy on, on liquor and cigarettes, that's their choice. If well, they but of course, money on shrimp or lobster—that's their choice. Well, but I don't it, think but that it's, Donald Trump needs to tell them what to spend their money. On. But all right, let's say your brother-in-law comes to you and says, "Richard, I'm having a I'm having a tough time, and I, I'm I'm way behind in my rent, and I, can you give me a thousand bucks?" So I can pay my rent. And you say, okay, I'm here, here, tell you what, don't want to have you thrown out on the street. Here's a thousand bucks. I want you to pay your rent with it. And then it turns out your brother takes that money and uses it to go on a trip to Las Vegas. Do, do you have a right to say, no, you, you can't use that money to go to Vegas. I gave you that money for rent. The people with the food stamps aren't making a representation to the government as to what they're going to spend the money on. If my brother told me he was going to spend the money on something, then he made an affirmative statement that this is what I'm going to spend it on. All right. How, but the idea is, do you think that you should have the ability, if you're going to give somebody money, do you think that you should have the ability to at least dictate how some of that is spent? I think you have to treat people equally. And if you're going to, if you're going to, uh, Give Foxconn three billion dollars okay. and let them buy cookies. For okay, well, we're back at Foxconn. Okay, I, I understand. We're back at Foxconn. They're they're giving this money to Foxconn. No, we're talking right now about the the whole food stamp concept and the question becoming, you know, if it is a an, a program that is designed to again help people for a temporary basis who need extra assistance, do you have the right? To say, all right, if it's going to be our money that we're using to help you out, do we have the right to say, all right, we, we want you to spend this, at least in part, on items that have nutritional value? Um, now, Richard, again, he would say absolutely not. He says, well, I, I have no problem. Cigarettes, tobacco, wine, liquor, whatever. All right, well, I completely and totally disagree. I think if it is taxpayer dollars, the taxpayers have every right to say, look, you know, we're, just like Michelle Obama apparently had the right to say, look, we we want people to eat healthier, so we're going to restrict the student lunches so they're healthier. I think you have every right as taxpayers to say, if we're giving you money to use, uh, again, to supplement your purchases of food, we have an ability to say what type of food you can buy with that. Now, the other stuff, if you've got other money on the side, and a lot of people have, well, then, okay, then you can go buy your chips or whatever. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, George on the north side. George, you're on WTMJ. Yes. First of all, let's kill this myth about uh, black folks uh, or poor folks who take their food stamps and go out and buy uh, cases of, of soda and chips or hard cookies. Man, we got kids, okay? We buy food to feed our children. They have 30 days. We have 30 days that that food need to last. So y'all rich white folks need to get this out your mind that we taking this these food stamps and, and spending them on, on, well, are, are you saying there's, are you saying that there's no fraud in the food stamp program? Man, there's fraud everywhere. Yeah, okay, everywhere. Yeah. But why pick on the poor folks? You know who 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 trying to make it? What somebody saw one time was possibly someone who had bought some food stamps from someone else mm-hmm. from the poor lady who didn't have enough to pay her rent, sold some of her food stamps and to to make ends meet to pay her rent, and this guy. Who had 
didn't need the food stamps, bought uh, lobster and steak with yep. his. That's what he did. Yeah. Okay. And somebody saw that, you know, yeah. and assumed that this is what folks with kids do with that food stamp. Well, Y'all nobody's saying that, that every, nobody say. says that everybody does it. But I guess my question, George, would be if people are using food stamps appropriately, what what what's the beef with saying all right some of this some of the food stamps is going to come in the form of of, well, of healthy you, stuff look, look what you just said if people are using the their food stamp appropriately yep uh what's wrong with them? why would you even fool with them if they're doing it right why go and mess with them well i guess the question That's would be the no, the well. It's not, okay, so so you so you don't so you don't have any problem if people want to go and buy cases of Mountain Dew and people want to go and buy who, chips of white cookies. Do that? Well, then, but who, who, but people. Okay, look, George. Yeah. Well, then it's not yeah, a problem. Have you ever used food stamps? Have you ever used no, food stamps? No, no. But then it's okay. But then it shouldn't be a, George. Then Most it shouldn't be a problem. All your show also have no. not used food stamps. Well, George, then it shouldn't be a problem. No, thanks. See, then it shouldn't be a problem if. If there's not an abuse of food stamps, all right, if people aren't spending the food stamps on stuff that is inappropriate, then there shouldn't be an issue. Then nobody should be complaining about that. This idea – look, here's the bottom line. The, the, the people where they make the money, the merchants and the people who supply the stuff, they make money by selling crap to people. That's where the markup is. And I understand that a lot of people on food stamps – uh, again, are, are trying to figure out how can I make this stretch 30 days and all, they're not going to be adversely impacted by this one way or the other. But, I mean, it's tough for me to listen to people argue why stuff like cases of Mountain Dew, why the junk food should be covered. Just saying. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One eleven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Well, we're off to a spirited discussion on today's program. Um, it only continues. I, actually, as you might expect, after those last couple calls, we're just swamped on our text line. Last caller's argument is flawed as the recipients of the government subsidy aren't using their money. It's taxpayers' money, and there should be restrictions on how the money is spent. See, that's always been my point as well. It's one thing if it's your own money. I don't have any business telling you how you spend it. On the other hand, when it is taxpayer money, I think it is perfectly reasonable for the government to say, we're going to put limitations on this. And if one of those limitations is we decide as a policy that if we're going to be giving, I don't know, um, resources for people to you know eat food, something I think is great, I don't think there's any problem with putting certain restrictions saying, hey, you can't buy junk food and crap with it. And I think most people would do that, except there's very powerful lobbying interests who want to be able to continue to sell people uh, stuff that's bad for them, because that's where the markup on this is. Um, another text. Wow, that last caller set me off. Really? Rich white folks? I work overtime to get less than half as much in my cart, and it's sales items. Um, last week, I was in the grocery store. I saw a cart tapped with ho-hos and lots of other junk food topped off with crab legs and fillets. Not my cart. They used food stamps to pay with it. Let's see. There's uh, another one of our texts. I used to spend a lot of time near 57th and Hampton, and every time I would go to the Piggly Wiggly on Capitol, I would be stopped multiple times every visit by people asking to sell me $100 in food stamps for $50 in cash. Yeah, and if you don't think 
that there's a degree of fraud that goes on, well, again, be careful to tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck. And I'm not convinced, don't get me wrong, I'm not convinced that this harvest box thing is the way to go simply because there are practical issues with this. And that is, again, right, the federal government provides the money. The state government is the one that actually then administers the program. How are we going to decide what goes into the harvest boxes? How are you going to – where is that food going to come from? What is the food going to be? There's – I'm just – at the end of the day, it just might end up costing more money to do something like that than, you know, it costs to administer the food stamp program. I will tell you, though, that if we started looking at restricting the types of things that can be purchased on food stamps with food stamps, I would be, you know, 100 percent behind it. And I understand there's other people like one of our callers who said, why are there any limits at all? We we don't. Nobody tells you, Jeff. You know, if you want to go out and you want to buy cigarettes, not that I buy cigarettes, or liquor or whatever, you know, we don't tell you you can't do that. Why should we tell poor people they can't do it? Well, okay, the difference is I'm using my own money to do that as opposed to a taxpayer-assisted program. I think if it's taxpayer money, you have every right to put limits on how it is spent. The question becomes what exactly should that limit be? All right, we're running behind. Big story number three. This can perhaps be just as controversial. It's a free ride. Yeah, let me read you the way the Journal Sentinel reported this the other day. If you are a Wisconsin resident admitted as a new student to the University of Wisconsin-Madison next fall and your family's adjusted gross income, so that would be the line on the tax returns, your adjusted gross income is $56,000 or less, You've just been given a free ride. Well, free tuition and segregated fees. You're on your own for books, housing, and other living expenses under Bucky's Tuition Promise Program. Noting that the cost of college is a major worry for many low- and medium-income families, and the workforce needs the state's brightest young people to stay here. University of Wisconsin-Madison Chancellor Rebecca Blank on Thursday announced a major new investment. That's what we always say when we're trying to spend money. Investment that will put the state's flagship campus alongside other Big Ten universities with a free tuition promise program for students who qualify. Madison says this is the most straightforward because only income determines eligibility, not family assets or other qualifying factors. Huh. So in other words, if you have a family that has assets of millions and millions of dollars, but in a given year, their adjusted gross income is 56 grand or less. We're not going to look at their assets. We're just going to look at this one number, and if you're below that, well, you end up getting a free ride. Bucky's tuition promise is expected to cover more than 800 students in each incoming class of freshmen and transfers. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the cost, um, they say, now this is kind of interesting. She says the total cost of the pledge is about $3.3 million per class. Um, $825,000 annually for four years. Funding is going to come from private gifts and instructional resources like royalties from licensing agreements for UW-branded merchandise. No state dollars will be used. Well, that no state tax dollars. Well, that's 
that's true and that's not true. I mean, you're, it might not be direct state tax dollars, but if you're using revenue that the, that UW is getting from, say, licensing to pay for this, that's, that's revenue that they would have to, that they're going to be spending on this that they don't have to spend on other things. But the idea is free college for people who adjusted gross income, they come from families of $56,000 or less. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a good idea? Now, if your adjusted gross income is sixty grand or more, you're out of luck. You know, you're, you're out of luck. But $56,000 is that magic number on the tax returns. Under that number, you get a free ride to UW-Madison for as long as you're there. All right. Good idea or bad idea? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this. But, I mean, all right, it, it's great. It, it's free tuition for, uh, again, some low-income and some middle-income middle income families. Don't have to worry about, you know, where am I going to get the money? Don't have to worry about saving to send your kids to college. Kids don't have to worry about working to pay tuition. Now, it doesn't include room and board. So, you know, you've still got that. Good idea or bad idea? And what are some of the potential problems with this? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jackson Brown is on his 2018 acoustic tour. He's making a stop in Milwaukee this summer. He's going to be at the Riverside Theater on Saturday night, June 16th. I have seen Jackson Brown at the Riverside. He does a great job. Keep listening to my program today and all this week. We'll be giving you a daily chance to win a pair of tickets to the show. My producer, Gru, who's trying to keep me on track today. And I admit, I'm, it's kind of the show is kind of careening out of control here. But it's good stuff. We're going to be giving away the Jackson Brown tickets sometime between now and 2 o'clock. So uh, your chance to win those. 414-799-1620. Okay, here's the deal. Rebecca Blank, who's the transfer, tra- chancellor at UW-Madison, she comes out and says, look, here's the deal. It's Bucky's tuition promise. If you come from a family that makes 50, less than 56 grand, we're just going to look at the one-form line on your tax return you get a free ride to UW Madison. You got now that's just tuition. You got to pay for your books. You got to pay for your room and board. But you get a free ride. The idea being here, we don't want people to have to worry about that. Now, if you make sixty grand, you are out of luck. If you make seventy-five grand, you're out of luck. If people. And again, it's adjusted gross income. It doesn't look at assets. So if you've got, I don't know, you come from a family where there's millions of dollars in assets, but you know only a small amount of money in adjusted gross income for a given year, well, then you still get the free ride. Now, that's not going to be many people, but it's a possibility. Let me also throw out this question before we start taking calls. What happens to all the people who, who go to school and then end up dropping out or, or, or not finishing. That happens a lot at UW-Madison. Matter of fact, one of the things that happens, a lot of people go to UW-Madison, get admitted after the fre- for freshman year, and then end up transferring or dropping out or whatever. And a lot of people who are at some of the other UW student schools, they end up transferring in. What about the people that, you know, the taxpayers pay for to go for a year or two and then they don't complete their degrees. They're just going to college to hang out. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Molly in Oconomowoc. Molly, you're first. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Molly. Um, I, I see a couple problems. One would be people hiding assets. 
And two would be people structuring their income in the years before their kids go to college to make their income fall below that that threshold. Well, right, as people do now to qualify for things like Obamacare. You know, we've seen all those stories that there's this magic cutoff that if you're over whatever that dollar amount is, 60-some thousand, whatever that dollar amount is, you know, you, you get essentially free insurance. If you're over that amount, you're paying $15,000 or more a year for insurance. Yeah, that that that's yeah. certainly a possibility that's out there. Yep. Well, and we've got two kids in college right now. Both are graduating this year, and we have busted our rear end for the last eight years to get them through. And they are leaving with a lot of student loans. And we are over that $60,000 mark or fifty six or whatever it is. Right. But it's infuriating to me because why should we be working so hard to get them through school when, oh, my gosh, you know what? We can quit our job, take a lower-paying job, <laughs> and look. Get them through for free. I think this is a joke. Well, that you see, you know, you raise an interesting point, Molly. I mean, I, I don't know what your and your husband's income is, but let, let's assume that's the sort of situation where you, you're getting to a point where you have two kids or kids that are close to college age for whatever, and you sit there and say, okay, well, look at how much college costs and what these expenses are. Might it just not make more sense for me to stop working, even though I'm capable yeah. of working, even though I want to work, and then so now our family income dips down to that 56 grand. So now we don't have to worry about paying the kids college. I mean, people will do that. That's the truth. Yep. Yep. And I also see, you know, I own my own business. And could I work for cash and hide that income and never have to claim it? I just see, you know, additional layers of fraud that could take place alongside them. Well, there's those possibilities. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Let us talk to Tiffany in Sussex. Tiffany, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. You know, Molly just hit the nail right on the head. I was telling your screener this is upsetting to me mainly because I've got a daughter who's ready to go to UW-Milwaukee in the fall, not because she wants to. I mean, she wants to go to college, but she wanted Madison more than anything else in the world. And I said, I can't do it. I can't swing that kind of money. And will she get a better or a worse education at UW-Milwaukee? I don't know. But now this is frustrating to me because we are business owners, and just like Molly said, I can make that bottom line look like I make less than $56,000 a year, and my kid could be at Mm -hmm. Madison going to school, essentially tuition-free. I could have swung all those other fees and the books and all of that. No problem. It's not – it just doesn't seem right to me. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad Molly said that because I kept thinking – yeah, we own a business. We could make that bottom line look like we only made fifty grand a year if we really wanted to. Well, well right, That's and I don't. The way right. I understand this, they're 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 very clear. They're not going to look at assets, you know. So I mean, you you could have, you know, you, you could have a, a million dollar house, you know, in Sussex, you know. Um, I'm not sure if there's million. I'm sure there's million dollars house out in Sussex. You could have a million dollar house that's completely paid for. They're not going to look at that. They're going to look at the the bottom line that that AGI. So you play with it exactly. Yeah. And I can take. I work outside of our business. I work outside of the home only because we cannot afford our own health insurance on the marketplace. Right. So I provide us with health insurance, but I can take every other cent I make, I can throw it into a 401k at my job so that I don't have that income. You know, we can take our business income and like, like Molly said, we could accept cash. We could, you know, put more into my husband's SEP plan until we max that out. We could t- leave that money in the business. Even though we're the business owners, we can take that money anytime we want. But on our taxes, we can leave that bottom line so much lower so that our kid can get free tuition. And the other great point is is that, yeah, what about these kids who are going to suck up two years of free tuition 
and not finish a degree. Right, and then drop out. No, thank, thanks for calling, Tiffany. I appreciate it. My producer is yelling at me, Jeff, you're doing this again. We have to take breaks. We have to pay bills. We are going to continue this conversation. So if you're on the line, please hold on. We have one open phone line for the first time since we started, 414-799-1620. All right, it sounds good. Is there such a thing as a free lunch? Are we evil, uncaring people if we don't think necessarily free tuition for people whose families make 56 grand or less is the greatest idea? We continue the conversation. It's 128 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, this is Valentine's Day. I've not forgotten that. Matter of fact, I was very proud of myself. I, I actually, I got my wife for Valentine's Day presents early, had them there for her this morning, so I was all set. I got that covered. We've got actually sort of a Valentine's Day topic in a weird sort of way. It's the millennials, Gru, who's producing the show. Are you familiar with the term breadcrumbing? You don't know breadcrumbing. All right. Well, I'm 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 going to tell you all about breadcrumbing. That's going to be coming up in just a little bit. Plus, what the you know what is going on at City Hall? It just gets more and more bizarre. But right now, we're talking about this program unveiled with great fanfare by the Chancellor at UW Madison, saying, "Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give free tuition to people who make fifty whose families make fifty six thousand dollars or less. All we're not going to look at assets." We're just going to look at that one number on the tax forms. Now, first of all, as a number of callers have pointed out, the, the potential for fraud, not, not even fraud, the potential for manipulation is, is huge with that. But I have a larger issue, and it's this, this whole idea of class warfare. So if you make $70,000 a year, you, you're supposed to, you know, your kid has to either work or you're supposed to pay for tuition, the full boat. But if you make $56,000 a year, you get a free ride. What's magic about $56,000? I mean, seriously, shouldn't we perhaps consider lowering tuition all across the board, maybe, if that's the idea, to make it more affordable for everybody to go? And again, I also raise this question. The truth of the matter is, college is not right for everybody. That, and I, I know some people just roll their eyes at that. Look, I, I, look, I went as far as there is to go in school. I went to college, went to law school. That, that's great. I am not downplaying college. I'm not downplaying law school or professional school or whatever. But some people just go to kind of hang out. All right, so what happens now? What happens to the people who, I don't know, enroll in Madison and then you know, stay there for a year or two at the expense? Again, it's not tax dollars per se. They're gonna ra- It's going to be private money. But, of course, that's private money that could be used on other things. It's going to be used for this. And they say licensing royalties from UW stuff that's going to be used for this program. Um, but, again, that's money that's being diverted away from something else. All right. Wouldn't it be better maybe to just, like, make college more affordable for everybody? Let's talk to James in Milwaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. Thank you. What's uh, what's up? What do you think? I'm I'm completely against this. Um, I, I think uh, just logistically, also uh, big in my personal life, I personally was granted financial independence when I went to school meaning I did not receive any income or any support from parents, and that was true. Um, and my first semester, I believe I got twenty-six dollars to $3,000, uh, $2,200, $3,000 for grants for financial aid. Um, but since turning 18, I always worked in construction sites full-time. After that first semester, they were stripped away, um, and I received no aid whatsoever because I was told I made too much, and at that point it was probably thirty-five grand a year. I was told that I would have to reduce my income about half to receive any uh, aid, 
And ever since then, I've always wondered, why would a person with one parent, maybe two parents, and their ability themselves to get a part-time or a full-time job, why am I helping to subsidize their education when uh, I feel that they could be doing the exact same thing? So I was given tough love, and, and I completely agree with it. I just don't understand why me personally or other taxpayers would have to support others when there's always the possibility of, like I said, getting a construction job, something else. Um, so I'm completely against it, as well as the purchasing power of these kids when they get out. They're not going to have student loans. Others will. Right. And uh, that just seems unfair. Well, and it is, I mean, thanks. And again, it's this it's this magic defining point of the 56 grand. You know, if if she were to have come out and said, look, you know, we we want to provide more opportunities for kids from low income families to go to go to school. So I'm going to try to raise some more money to I, I'm going to try to get some private donors or whatever, because I want to create an extra pool of X million dollars that I can then go and use to identify, you know, worthwhile students who qualify based on family need or something like that. All right. I, you know, what, what about, I mean, for example, I mean, what about the family? What about the family with five kids who makes $80,000 a year? Well, sorry, you're going to be out of luck because, you know, you're right. The one, you know, you've got the family, let's say, with one college age kid, you know, they make fifty thousand dollars. Their kid gets the free ride. And again, it's it's just it's just tuition. So you still got to come up with room and board and that stuff. But, OK, you got one kid. You make fifty thousand dollars. Boom. You're set. You got five kids that you got to send through college, but you make eighty thousand dollars. Well, you're out of luck. I mean, if, if we're going to do this and try to make it more affordable, why just look at one line? Why not say, let's look at the bigger picture? And again, if, if you want to raise money through private sources to try to make it more, you know, to try to give more kids who are, are struggling um, or who parent, whose parents don't have enough money to send them to college and they're worthwhile, I'm not, I'm not against it. But it's the way this is drawn up. That seems to me to be number one, ripe for abuse. Number two, fundamentally unfair. I mean, again, just think of it. Five kids. We make 80 grand a year. We got five kids. We want to send them all to college. So we got to pay the tab. But one kid, if you make 50 grand, you're all set. How, how does that make any sense at all? And I think the answer is that, that it doesn't. Let's talk to Rick in Fond du Lac. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Rick. Um, yeah, I just, this free tuition stuff has just got me because, uh, I went to college. Never, our family never had money. Um, my mother and dad couldn't afford to help me out in college, so I had to work, uh, two jobs, uh, whatever I needed to do to get through college. I took out the max in loans. I know this is, this is back in the 80s, so, uh, you know, college tuition wasn't as much. I, I agree mm-hmm. the tuition is high, much higher these days, but, the free tuition, I don't think, does anything to help uh, these young kids. In fact, I think it hurts them. Jeff, the most important lesson I learned out of my five years in college wasn't any of the classes I took. It was the it was the uh, taking out those loans and then having the uh, the ability to get a job and paying back those loans or taking mm-hmm. the responsibility of paying back those loans. That was by far the most important lesson I learned out of my whole college experience. And it probably also, the fact that, that you were, were having to work and do that probably made you appreciate the experience more than if it had just been, I don't know, a, a, a free ride. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I, all right, here, here's one of my texts. 
why do you hate poor people? Let the less fortunate have an opportunity as well. Well, that's it. So I guess this is where it's come to in this country. If you say, gee, you know, we're talking about this massive giveaway that is ill-considered, that is arbitrary at best, that is, you know, clearly going to be scammed. Well, that means that you, you hate poor people. Well, no, it's not a question of hating poor people. Let the less fortunate have the opportunity as well. All right. So again, let's go back to my example. You, you make 50 grand a year. You have one kid. Your kid gets a free ride. You make 60 grand a year. You've got five kids. You are out of luck. You've got to pay for it all. Wouldn't it make more sense if you're going to raise revenue like that to just lower tuition all around or at least look at a big picture, you know, come up with a plan. Hey, if we want to provide more financial assistance, let's figure this out. Let's look at the big plan. And yeah, we've got that family with six kids. All those kids want to go to college, but mom and dad make $75,000 a year. They got to pay. But the one kid whose parents make 50, don't, it doesn't make any sense. It is ill considered. And it's not a question of hating poor people. Plus, I don't know if you're making $56,000 a year, are you necessarily poor? I mean, that, that's that's now what the standard is for somebody who's poor. Hmm. All right. When we come back, Bill Clinton, persona non grata. What is going on in City Hall? And all right. One of my favorite topics of the day. Some legislators want to make Tide Pods less tempting to eat. Yes, you heard me right legislation to make Tide Pods less tempting to eat. Before we do that, though, as I have been telling you, all week we have a pair of tickets each day that we're giving away to go see Jackson Brown. He's coming to the Riverside Theater June 16th. It is a Saturday night. Let's give a pair of tickets to see Jackson Brown to caller number 12. Caller number 12 at 414-799-1620. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner. 48, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we have our winner of the Jackson Brown tickets. Um, it is a very good show. Matter of fact, the tickets go on sale tomorrow, I believe. Um, if you don't win tickets, it's worth buying. I, I saw him at the Riverside a couple years ago. Now, this is a, this is an acoustic tour. Um, he had a full band. It, half the show was acoustic, and then he came out with a full band. It was really an outstanding show. And if you are of a certain generation, Jackson Brown is, in many respects, the soundtrack of our lives. The real-life hero of the movie Black Hawk, Down, Black Hawk Down joins John McCure and Melissa Barkley to talk about honor, duty, and his incredible story. You can hear their entire conversation at 3.20 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. You really do get the idea that Tom Barrett City Hall is completely and totally spinning out of control. You've got you've got the scandal involving the city health department with uh, the lead in the water and the former health commissioner being fired and the common council not approving the guy that the mayor wanted. Instead, the common council choosing this woman who is is a nurse, not a doctor, um, at least not a medical doctor. And she goes on a radio station and talks about how, you know, she's the, the science on vaccines is still unsettled, which has people's heads exploding. Where did this come from? And this is the person who's going to be the health commissioner and is supposed to be, again, promoting the state law that requires kids to be vaccinated. So you've got that. You've got crime in general that is out of control. And then you have the mayor with a whole series of things that can only be described as weird. A couple weeks ago, you get the Bucks player, two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> he's he's illegally parked outside the Walgreens on 27th and National with a woman. 
the police come to give him a ticket because the car is across two handicapped spots. All we know is that something happens. There's an altercation. The the guy has to get tased. The police initially want charges. Mysteriously, those charges disappear. The mayor says, well, okay, I called the police chief because I wanted to know what was going on, which is, I think, something perfectly reasonable. He then says, then I called the president of the box and we talked, which is something that is is not appropriate under any circumstance at, at all. All right, so you've got that whole thing going on. They still haven't released the videotape. I think people are hoping that that one just gets swept under the rug. Well, that's not going to happen. And then you have the story broken by WISN the other night, which is just as bizarre as you can possibly uh, imagine. There is a captain, high-ranking guy in the Milwaukee Police Department, Johnny Scrignoli. He goes down to City Hall and goes to the security people and asks to look at certain surveillance video of, like, the garage. All right. The security guy thinks this is odd and goes to the mayor, apparently, and somehow it gets kicked up to the mayor, and then they, they, they notify the police. Well, what, what's going on here? Well, Flynn doesn't know anything about this, so they whistle the captain, and they say, what are you doing? And then he, he starts giving stories. First of all, he says, well, I, I was helping out a friend whose wife thought her husband might be having an affair, and we were checking this out, and then that doesn't work out. Then he said, I was kind of, I was looking for something about my wife, and, and then, as it as it turns out, they, they think that he was looking at at videotape involving the at least checking on the whereabouts of the woman who is the executive director of the fire and and police commission so they think the guy is lying about why he was looking at at the tape so then they set up a surveillance on his house because they they come up with a, a photo of him and the executive director of the fire and police commission like together in some liquor store or something like that and they start thinking okay is there something going on between the two of them or, or whatever they're also then concerned that is this guy stalking her or whatever so they start surveillance of his place looking to see if the two of them are are together they apparently don't come up with any evidence that you know, she's over at his house. She somehow, though, finds out that she is not really the subject of the investigation, but that they're they're looking at him, and she's kind of on the periphery because they're looking to see if they're together. So the, the executive director of the Fire and Police Commission goes into the chief, and according to him, um, tells her, you, stop investigating me. You know, stop, stop investigating me. She told me, this is what he says, I should drop the investigation or I would likely be sued. She apparently then also contacts the mayor, and the mayor gets involved in this. I mean, it's, my producer, Gru, is just shaking his head. Yeah, she goes to the mayor, and then the mayor kind of gets involved. And, and now everybody's kind of dancing, and they're saying, well, we, we didn't tell them to really drop the investigation and all this type of stuff. And now, of course, the common council president's getting involved in this, wondering, is there a conflict of, of interest? And, and I mean, look, I don't know what's going on here. I'm not sure anybody does. If the executive director of the Fire and Police Commission was having a personal relationship, and that's an if, don't know what that is, with a captain in the Milwaukee Police Department who was then the subject of an investigation, yes, that would scream conflict of interest. And if she went to the chief and did anything which would be construed as trying to intercede on behalf of the captain, that's an if, that would be a huge conflict of 
of interest. Now, I, I don't know what anybody's relationship is. The um, Several records uh, of this, I, I think, are still being kind of withheld. Um, some were leaked. The mayor and the Fire and Police Commission are concerned about the leak. Um, I, I do think it's interesting, and, and I haven't always been a fan of Ed Flynn, but he makes the point that um, the first rea- I was disappointed but not surprised when the first reaction of the Fire and Police Commission chairman and apparently the mayor was to want an investigation into a leak rather than the potential serious ethical conflict of interest I addressed in the interview. Yeah, it's like they're concerned with how did the public possibly find out that we might have had this stuff going on. I, I mean, I don't know where any of this is going. I I, I don't, but it, it does. It's another brick in that wall of just an out of control city government where it, it really does appear like Barrett has completely and totally lost control of this thing. And, you know, him him calling, whether it's the Bucks president or if he interceded. And I say if I don't know, but if he interceded on behalf of. I don't know that this woman into an investigation. If you're a member of the Fire and Police Commission, um, the executive director, you know, if and I say if there was a relationship, and I don't know if that's the case or not with this captain. I mean, the the, the conflicts are just just so very very bizarre, and and of course. This is the city of Milwaukee. They try to sweep it all under the rug. But you do get an idea, whether it's the health department or things with the cops or the Peyton Place, um, you get an idea that it's just completely and totally spiraling out of control. But don't worry. We're going to have that trolley sometime. It's 155. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We have some breaking news, and I know Belinda's going to have some of that at the top of the hour. There appears to be... A, another school shooting, this time in Florida. We'll be giving you constant updates of that. Um, when we come back, we'll bring you details of that, of course, and then a number of other stories. We've been had a jam-packed program today. Uh, Bill Clinton, um, again, persona non grata for the Democrats. I'll tell you all about that. It's 159. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Yeah, we'll continue to bring you updates on this active situation of School shooting, high school shooting in Parkland, Florida. Parkland is a city in Broward County, so it's kind of think think Palm Beach, sort of in, in that area. Um, right now, really, nobody has any details. There's you know, helicopter video showing you know, kids being you know evacuated from the school and running across intersections and things like that. But we, we really don't know anything more. And we'll continue to bring you updates as more information becomes available. This is um, when, when you have these active things. After doing this on the air for full or part-time for 23 years now in this market, one of the things that you always – I think back on different shows, sometimes the stuff I regret the most is the, the sort of what I would call the fog of war thing, where people start talking about stuff without really knowing what the facts are with regard to these ongoing situations. So we'll continue to keep you posted, but really nothing known about the situation yet. I want to double back just a, a minute ago. I'm just always amazed at the, the, how thoughtful you are in most cases, when, when you send emails or texts and all. You know, we were talking about this whole idea of free tuition for anybody who makes under $56,000 a year. And I have a really thoughtful piece here. Somebody wrote me, Jeff, the theoretic, theoretical reasons for why the free tuition is a horrible idea are happening right now with the school choice program. My husband and I make a little more than the income line, so we have to come up with the insane tuition at the private high school that we want to send our kids to. Meanwhile, my brother-in-law is getting a total free ride 
drive for his three kids because his income is a little below the line. Same demographics, only difference is that we have worked over the years to raise our income in order to afford it. The brother has not planned at all, has never missed a vacation, including a few trips to Disney. Even if there isn't actual fraud going on with the program, it at best rewards laziness. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, that's the, that must be an interesting conversation around the dinner table. Or brother-in-law, you know, work harder. You know, we're working hard. We got to pay. But it does show the inequities of these different systems. And Rebecca Blank's idea, I think, only expedites that. There was a time when Democrats running for office embraced Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was the draw. If you could get Bill Clinton to your rally, if you could get Bill Clinton there, it it was like the gold standard. 2018, Bill Clinton has become persona non grata. And, you know, I'd ask you why, but you'd probably get it in one. This is, of course, the year of the Me Too movement. And the last thing that any Democratic candidate wants to be associated with is a guy like Bill Clinton with his track record with regard to to women. And so it is interesting, candidates that in the past, I was just looking at the story in Politico, um, candidates in the past that would have begged, you know, Bill Clinton to come and campaign for him, now they are running as far and as fast as they can away from Bill Clinton because, you know, if he's going to come out and campaign for you, all right, your chance to um, use the whole Me Too movement kind of goes out the window because, you know, you, you can talk about Donald Trump and his Access Hollywood tape and stuff like that. Problem is, uh, again, it's tough to talk about that if you're standing next to a guy like Bill Clinton. All right. Let us switch gears. Um, today is Valentine's Day. And so my guess is for many of you guys and, and gals, you know, you're doing something for your sweetie. And in a lot of times, I mean, one of the things that is, is standard is, um, is you, you give candy. Matter of fact, the, uh, yesterday, yesterday, I think it was, I, I ran over to my very, very ca- favorite candy store, which is right down the street and, you know, got some candy and, um, on behalf of, uh, there, there's a wonderful friend of ours who takes care of the dog occasionally, and I, I gave her a box of candy, you know, on behalf of my wife Fran and I and the, and our dog Sasha. Thanks, you know, happy Valentine's Day, and um, got some candy for my wife and things like that. So th- there, there's things on Valentine's Day, you know, I mean, candy. Candy is something you eat. There are other things that you do not eat, including Tide Pods. Now, um, Gru's producing the show Do people know what Tide Pods are? Right. Tide Pods are, of course, those, the, the, the detergent. And what you do is it's the, like, little, they're the pods. You throw them in the washing machine. They wash your clothes. All right. Um, you should not have to say this, but you do. Detergent is not a good thing to eat. Matter of fact, if you eat detergent, you can get really, really sick. And perhaps even worse stuff that can happen to you, which is why the great kind of candy I got from my favorite candy store yesterday, you eat Tide Pods, you you don't. However, what happened, I don't know, what, about six or seven months ago, is you had some idiots on the Internet that decided to, you know, go into the thing they called the, the Tide Pod Challenge, which is where people sit and eat Tide Pods. All right, now... 
I don't know what they can say. If if you if you intentionally decide that you are going to ingest a chunk of detergent, there's only so much you know people can do for you. But but here's here's the deal: lawmakers and consumer advocates yesterday have started urging Procter and Gamble. They're the people who make Tide Pods to make their pods less enticing to eat. Yes, you heard me right. Less enticing to eat. Now, I don't know about you, Gru, but there's many times that I've looked and I've sat there and I've said, gee, that really looks appealing. I'd love that steak. I'd love those ribs. Never, gee, that detergent looks really appealing. I'll tell you more about this in just a second. It's 214. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTM Java Text. We need to make the insulation of my attic less enticing. Every time I go up there, I want to eat it. It looks like cotton candy. Yeah, they're seriously considering legislation in New York which would change the way you package Tide Pods to include clear warning labels. Hey, stupid, don't eat detergent, child-resistant wrappers, and less appealing colors. Well, of course, the people that are eating this are doing it. It's not like they're doing it mistakenly. They're doing it on purpose because they think it looks cool what can you do all right as we've been telling you there is an active shooting situation in parkland florida which is uh, south south florida kind of think palm beach there are a a number of reports that say a number of people have been shot the shooter is still at large people are still like hiding in the high school let's bring in belinda babinick it's uh again details starting to emerge but it's an active situation Here's what we know right now, Jeff. Authorities say they are responding to a shooting at a Florida high school. The school has been locked down. The Broward Sheriff's Office telling news outlets the shooting happened this afternoon at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. That is located in Parkland, Florida. So now it's not immediately clear how many people have been wounded. Coral Springs police saying on their Twitter account today, the school lockdown, students and teachers inside should remain barricaded until police get to them. TV footage is showing at least one person being wheeled to an ambulance on a gurney while emergency workers appeared to be helping others on the sidewalk. The new broadcast also showed students running across the street. We're going to get more information in just a couple minutes from ABC News. It's 2.23, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, just one game left for the Bucks until they hit the unofficial midway point of the NBA season. And before they head off to their all-star break, they'll look to dispatch the Denver Nuggets at the Bradley Center. Ted and Dennis will have our Buckshots pregame coverage. It starts at 6.40 tomorrow evening right here on WTMJ. Yeah, we're again, we're, we are monitoring this situation that they are describing as as a mass casualty situation, um, a shooting at a high school in South Florida. Um, we're looking at the images. I'm looking at the images right now, and uh, the reports are that the the shooter is still at large um, at the high school. They're instructing people, and, and we're, I'm watching people are are being evacuated from the school. you got kids that are running out, and there's all sorts of a police presence. Um, they're telling people, wait until the police get to you. Um, if you're in a particular location, just stay there, shelter in place, and wait till the police get there, and then they'll, they'll escort you out. So that's, that's really all we know at this point in time, and um, 
the, these when these situations emerge, as I was saying a couple minutes ago, it's always a very, very difficult time because, you know, people want to know information, but th- there's nobody seems to actually know. And if people, the people who know it, they're not saying it right now, because obviously the principal concern in a situation like this is, number one, you know, identifying and, and catching whoever is responsible for whatever it was that happened. And secondly, making sure that people are safe and that if anybody's been injured, that those people receive appropriate treatment. So that's what the priorities are. But we'll continue to keep you updated as this all goes along. Again, this is Parkland, Florida, which is extreme southeast Florida. Um, Kind of, again, it's in Broward County, so think... I don't know, think Palm Beach, that kind of area, for those of you who are familiar with it. All right, we'll continue to bring you updates as they come in. Of course, there'll be one in about four minutes or so. This, again, every time I think that stuff is just past the point of weird around here, whether it's all the stuff with the mayor or the county executive or whatever, well, then then you have somebody like the woman who wants to be on the Milwaukee County Board, Sparkle Ashley. Now, the county board, let, let's face it, going back to the, the, the time of, of Tom Amet and the House of Happy Hacks, you know, the, the county board has always been dysfunctional. And a lot of the problems that Milwaukee County has does trace back to what, 2001, 2002, when you had the whole pension scandal. Because what happened is the then county executive, some of his aides, with the blessing of the county board, orchestrated what's come to be called the pension scandal, which has led to essentially Milwaukee County being dead broke for, you know, for years and years and years. And unfortunately, it's a situation that's not going to get any better, all because of those decisions that went on then. So you have all these different issues. And of course, you've got a dysfunctional county board, you've got a county executive with his own sort of agendas. Um, And in general, it is a county board with a very liberal twist. But there are some conservatives on the board. One of the handful of conservatives is a woman named Deanna Alexander, who's a county supervisor. She's been on this program and other programs before. She is being challenged by this woman named, yes, Sparkle Ashley. Sparkle Ashley is... And I think this is fair to say she is a, a cop hater in the extreme. Now, Dan Bice, the Journal Sentinel, was reporting that, you know, she um, she has the, this history on her Facebook page going back to 2014. You know, she would post things like every day I'm alive. My hatred grows for the Milwaukee Police Department. I have never had a good experience, no matter the circumstances. I have an idea about how all you dumb blank Jump off the highest building in downtown Milwaukee. No one will miss you. I promise. Hashtag blank the police, although she doesn't write blank the police. Another posting. I cannot believe that the police still turn on their sirens to run lights. Oh, how my hatred of them grows. This is the woman who wants to be on the county board. She writes, the Milwaukee Police Department is a joke. I have no respect for any of them. And between them and all the dummies out there killing people, here killing people, they're going to destroy the only city instead, the city instead of making it better. And, of course, you know, the, the follow-up today is that her attacks on the Milwaukee cops isn't limited to social media. Journal Sentinel, again, Dan Bice, reporting that she once blasted a couple of Milwaukee's police officers with a host of expletives after a heated traffic stop. 
Police said that they were trying to interview her about the marijuana smell in the car. You can't blanking do this, she is quoted as telling the officers in 2013. I'm a blanking social worker. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm a social worker. Of course we're out there. That's marijuana smell in my car. How dare you ask me that? I'm a blanking social worker. When she refused to hand over her phone during the interview, one officer tried to take it from her. Don't blanking touch me, she responded. The police report labeled her as boisterous and profane. Situation got so bad that she was apparently arrested and cited with disorderly conduct and obstructing. After her arrest, she went online and trashed the punk expletive officers and the MPD, which she called a joke, bent on destroying the city. All right, this is what it has come to. Now, candidly, if if, um, Sparkle Ashley somehow wins, she would fit in perfectly well on the Milwaukee County Board. But that certainly doesn't say that she should win the election. What it says is perhaps much more about the Milwaukee County Board. My guess is even in Milwaukee and even with all the dysfunction, you have a good conservative supervisor like Deanne Alexander. You have, well, you have Sparkle Ashley on the other side. It would seem to me that that decision should be pretty uh, easy for the voters. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, and we will continue to bring you updates as information comes out about this uh, shooting situation in South Florida. We'll bring you ABC News updates and all. Right now, again, nobody really knows exactly what's happened or the extent of it other than it seems extremely serious, and we'll continue to keep you updated about that. I, I want to switch gears a little bit, and I understand there's something very serious going on, but just it is Valentine's Day, and I, all I can tell you is I'm glad I'm not in the dating pool. I, I mean, I I am just, I am so lucky that the lovely Fran found me and it just kind of saved me. It just absolutely is. People will ask us, well, how did, how did you meet your, your wife? And I'll say the Internet. And she'll hit me. You know, we, we didn't meet on the Internet. We knew each other for a long time and all that stuff. And, you know, and she'll say, I, I, and she'll tell people, she's the first to tell people, I liked his late wife better than I liked him, which, you know, kind of is an interesting sort of situation. But, no, we did not meet on the Internet. But one of the reasons I'm glad I'm not in the dating pool, other than the fact that I've, again, outkicked my coverage and have a lovely wife, um, is I can't get I can't get used to the terms. Now, Gru, who's producing the show, you are a millennial, um, and you, you're not even familiar with some of these terms. Like, the, if you are dating nowadays, these are some of the terms you need to know, um, especially if you are dating millennials. Breadcrumbing. Do you have no idea what breadcrumbing is? Okay, here is breadcrumbing. <laughs> Breadcrumbing. See, this is this is news you can use when you're out to dinner with your sweetie tonight. You know, just, you can talk about this. Breadcrumbing <clears throat> occurs when someone is sending you flirtatious text messages or showing their admiration or affection on social media through likes, comments, and direct messages. However, they're not really asking you out on a date, or maybe they are, but plans are never set in stone and often get canceled. In essence, they're leading you on. Um, they used to call it cookie crumbles. You like the taste of the cookie, but you're not getting the whole thing. It's the same thing with bread crumbing. You're not getting a full loaf. You're just being led on. All right. So if that's happening to you, you are being bread crumbed. Ghosting. This happens a lot. I, I even know what this term is. Ghosting is considered one of the biggest dating trends of late. 
78% of millennials admit to being ghosted. Ghosting means you've been seeing someone, and then all of a sudden they disappear. The ghosting period is when you haven't heard from the person you've been seeing in a day or two, and you start texting trying to get a hold of them. Meanwhile, <clears throat> a true ghost will completely disappear from your life, and then weeks or months later they reappear with a random text. If you haven't been contacted for a week or more, you have been ghosted, and you really should cut him or her off. All right. Micro-cheating. Micro-cheating is basically small acts that result in having an emotional attraction to someone else, all the while keeping it a secret from a partner. So you're, you've got, you're in a relationship, but you're apparently like flirting. There's no physical contact, so someone committing these acts might think they're doing nothing wrong. The key with micro-cheating is that you're keeping it a secret from your partner, so there is a deception. Perhaps you're putting this other person's name in your phone under an alias, or you're texting, going to lunch with them, engaging in even riskier behavior like driving in a car somewhere together, um, but it is the deception. And there's love bombing. Love bombing, hmm, it's like an explosion of affections all at once. When you meet somebody and they have this instant chemistry or connection with you, it's almost like they're telling you it's love at first sight. They're adoring you. They're sending you affectionate text messages. They constantly want to see you. They might even shower you with presents. The danger here is that anything that's happening too fast is probably too good to be true. What's happening with a love bomber is they're reeling you in, they're manipulating you, and all of a sudden you've been love bombed and you're doing things you would not normally do. And then you end up getting ghosted or something like that. Huh. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. Um, catch and release. When fishing, catch and release means catching a big fish and throwing it back in the water, hoping that if you keep fishing, you'll catch another bigger one. In dating, this is someone who likes the chase of attracting a partner, but when they finally catch them, they get bored and release them or end the relationship. Huh. Slow fade. The slow fade is similar to ghosting, but more subtle. Slow fading is when a relationship is going really well, and the natural next step is to take it to the next level. Move in together, meet the parents, go on vacation, whatever. Instead of your partner communicating that the relationship is moving too fast, they slowly reduce the amount of communication until eventually you're not talking anymore. You know, it's a slow fade when they stop being as responsive to texts or calls, or when they cancel plans and don't make new ones at all. So I guess the bottom line is, if you are trying to assess, I don't know, assess where your situation stands as you're out to dinner tonight with your Valentine, you know, think of those terms. Are you being breadcrumbed? Are you being love-bombed? Are you being micro-cheated on? Are you being ghosted? Are you being benched? Oh, benching is just like as like it happens in the major leagues. What This is what happens when you've gone on several dates with someone, you become really attracted to them, and while they continue to text or contact you, they're not asking you out. Just like a sports team puts a guy on the bench, we put our date on reserve, almost like a backup option. Um, the reason people continue to bench is because they don't really want to let you go, yet they want to see what else is out there. So if you're being slow-faded, catched and released, benched, love-bombed, micro-cheating, ghosting, or breadcrumbed, huh, maybe you need to make plans before the next Valentine's Day. And once again, I'm so very glad that I'm not in the dating pool. I just can't keep track of this. Your head... Your head just spins. I have enough trouble figuring out, okay, do you get candy and flowers, and should you get something else? How do you handle those things? It's 241. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
It's 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, let's see. Today's the day. Pitchers and catchers report to Brewers Spring Training. How high are your early expectations for the club? Greg Matzik wants to know this evening. Tune in to Sports Central starting at 6.07. All right, we're going to have the latest update from Florida in about five minutes on this active shooting situation. The reports are the shooter is still at large. So stay tuned. We'll keep you apprised of all the details during the course of the afternoon. This is admittedly one of the more bizarre stories of the day. There are right now two announced candidates running for the GOP nomination for U.S. Senate to take on Tammy Baldwin in November. One is Leah Vukmir. The other is Kevin Nicholson. I think they are both outstanding candidates. I want to talk about Kevin Nicholson for a minute. Matter of fact, I'll give you a heads up. We're going to be rolling out our guest list for Insight 2018 in the very near future, and Kevin Nicholson's going to be one of the people who will be there in person. I, I like Kevin Nicholson. I haven't decided who I'm going to vote for or anything like that, but Kevin Nicholson is a very, very interesting conservative candidate. He's got a military background. He's a businessman. And interestingly, he started out as a Democrat. All right. He was a Democrat in college. And so he has made a conversion. He gets questioned about that all the time. And, you know, he has a very interesting explanation. He's been on my program before. He just talks about how, you know, the events he went through, yes, when he was young, he was liberal, but the events that he went through in the military and as a businessman and stuff, he, he's had a conversion. He's pro-life, those type of things. And, you know, and that's, I, I find it to be compelling, and I, I find it, he's, he's an interesting candidate. I think he is a strong candidate. Now, who the best candidate is, voters will have to decide. But, I mean, he's got an interesting and compelling message, and Unlike some people, the fact that maybe when he was in college, he was a Democrat or immediately thereafter, I, I don't hold that against him. Against him, People people change, people mature, people's worldviews change, liberal to conservative, conservative to liberal, whatever. And I think the question is, where are they now? This is an interesting story, though, um, that's being reported. His, his parents, who live in Mequon, are big-time lefties, uh, big-time donors to various Democratic candidates, and that's been the story before. So the report today is that his mother and father, in December, each maxed out with donations to Tammy Baldwin. They each gave $2,700 donations to Senator Tammy Baldwin. Um, and, of course, Kevin Nicholson is, is running against Tammy Baldwin. He did an interview today on, on Fox and Friends, and I, I was going to play the whole thing, but you know, the essence is, you know, they asked him about that. And he said, uh, they said, are you getting along with your parents? You know, what are they saying about what are you saying about their donations to Senator Baldwin? And he says, well, it's unfortunate. We've not had any contact with my parents. It's a decision they made on the basis of their politics. This is admittedly a strange story, not necessarily from the perspective of Nicholson, but from from the parents. I'm just I'm trying to think of a situation where. I, I don't have kids, so maybe it's kind of a, a different view, and, and maybe I'm kind of sensitive to this because in another life, you know, I ran for statewide office, you know, years and years and years ago. But I, I'm trying to think that if I had a kid who was running for for office, and, and I didn't, maybe his politics or her politics weren't mine. Okay, I, I can understand that maybe I wouldn't be actively campaigning for him, but I'd be proud of the fact that my kid, you know, was running and doing those type of things. I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine, though, going out and donating money to my child's opponent or potential opponent. I, I don't 
now some people might say this says something about Kevin Nicholson. Actually, do they have a right to do it? Well, of course. I'm just trying to think that even if I, I didn't agree with my kids' politics or whatever, I, I think since it is my child, I might just, I mean, not, I keep, I might keep my checkbook close to home for this particular race as opposed to actively donating money to the opponent. So this story that's out there and it's getting all this attention about Nicholson's parents giving money to, you know, Tammy Baldwin. I don't think it says very much about Kevin Nicholson one way or the other. It does maybe say something about his parents. And I just, again, I don't have kids, so maybe maybe I just don't understand. But I don't get how you could give money to the political opponent of your child. Just saying. It's 2.54, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 43 degrees outside. Enjoy the weather while it lasts. Um, Hopefully, I understand it's only in mid-February, so there's still some more winter to go, but hopefully, hopefully a lot of the cold snap and the heavy snow and things like that are behind us. John McCure is going to be in in just a moment. Of course, we'll continue to keep you updated on what's going on in Florida as details emerge. Before I end the show, though, I did just want to mention one thing. There, There are... There are good ideas, and there are bad ideas, and then there's okay ideas, and then there's just awful ideas. And um, Scott Fitzgerald, who is the speaker of, he's actually the leader of the state senate, the majority leader, he's floating this idea to have an alcohol czar appointed by the governor and confirmed by the senate. The role of this alcohol czar, who would have police powers, um, and the mandate would be to toughen enforcement of the state liquor laws. This, this is, at least at first blush, a stunningly bad idea. And what needs to happen is the legislature needs to put the brakes on it. What, what's going on is the liquor laws in this state are an absolute mess. They're a hodgepodge of different things, and there's winners and there's losers. And the people who are the winners right now, some of the folks that have special advantages that aren't extended to other people, they're fighting hard to try to preserve those type of advantages. What we need to do, rather than rushing to appoint an alcohol czar, we need to take a step back and look at all the different liquor laws that we have in this state and how they interact with each other you know who can you know who can have what type of license and if you're a microbrewery what can you sell all these different types of things because candidly the liquor laws we have in the state are really not responsive to what the market is nowadays with regard to the rise of craft breweries and things like that and and rather than an alcohol czar that is going to enforce the current laws vigorously, we just need to take a look at the laws in general. Now, it might be, as part of an overall revamp of the liquor laws in the state, we might decide that it makes sense to have a position of somebody who's like an alcohol czar. But doing that without completely revamping and taking a holistic approach to looking at all the liquor laws would be a staggeringly bad idea that would result in the winner's becoming even bigger winners and the losers becoming even bigger losers. All right, 257, John McCure, Melissa Barkley in the house. Obviously, the breaking news story is this situation down in Florida. Boy, that is the big story, Jeff. So this is unfolding at a high school, at a high school that is about 50 miles north of uh, Miami. So 
you know, maybe Palm Beach. 30 miles. Yeah. yeah, I think Palm Beach. Yeah. Yep, yep, it is north of Fort Lauderdale and there near Boca Raton. So in that neck of the woods, uh, there are reports, Jeff, that students are still locked in their classrooms. One student reporting just moments ago that he has heard numerous, numerous gunshots. We're being told now that the shooter has been identified. They know who it is, but they are still looking for that individual. He is apparently a male. That's about all we know. There are multiple reports of casualties. This is still a lot of unconfirmed information, still an active shooter situation, and reports continue to come in. But there are reports of as many as 20 people injured. Police are on the scene. If right. you casualties, see pictures, casualty amazing. does not mean fatality. Sometimes That's absolutely people, right. Sometimes people yep. misinterpret that. Casualty does not mean fatality. That's right. You're right about that. So uh, 20 casualties are the reports, but that is still a lot of unconfirmed information. The school itself, 3,200 students. This is a very big Florida high school. Parkland, where the school is located, a population of about 24,000 people. So police remain on the scene. So do the SWAT teams as we continue to try to sort this all out. Students uh, remain locked in their classrooms, many of them, but there's also video beginning to emerge of students being led out of the high school. The governor in Florida has spoken to the president about what's going on there. Rick Scott saying he has spoken to President Trump about the school shooting, and many saying they believe what happened there was a hoax. We've got the very latest. It's far from a hoax. Straight ahead on WTMJ.